Hi, everyone. So glad that you were able to join us today for the Perseverance Conference. Sorry I wasn't able to be with you in person, but my favorite verse in the Bible is Romans 8.28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen? I believe that I love God with all my heart, and I believe God's called me to ministry, so he's going to use this message for his glory today. Do you believe it? Amen. I need you to have your Bibles with you. We'll be in Revelation chapter 2 in just a few moments. I'm calling today's message, You Can't Handle This. It reminds me of that Jack Nicholson line from A Few Good Men, You Can't Handle the Truth. Similar title today, You Can't Handle This. In June 2009, a sea of babies world came crashing down. Asiya was a married mother of six who loved her native country of Pakistan, but because she was a devoted Christian, she was part of a small minority in that nation that outlaws open practice of Christianity. And so in June of 2009, Asiya Bibi, when she was out working in her orchard, was arrested. In her own words, my husband was at work, my kids were in school, I had gone to pick fruit from the orchard. A mob came and dragged me away. They made fun of me. I was very helpless. The following year, Asiya was convicted of blasphemy in a Pakistani court and sentenced to hanging under Pakistan's strict anti-blasphemy laws. Asiya was placed in solitary confinement in an 8-foot by 10-foot cell, no windows, there in solitary confinement, And over the next nine years, she endured malnutrition and torture from several of the prison guards and countless death threats. Muslim extremists hated her so much that two of the Pakistani politicians that advocated for her release were assassinated. Due in large part to an international outcry, Asiya Bibi was acquitted by the Supreme Court of Pakistan on October 31st, 2018. A week later, international human rights advocates were able to help Asiya and her family leave Pakistan and seek asylum in Canada, where Asiya and her family still live today. We would like to think that cases like Asiya's are rare, that this kind of persecution doesn't happen much in our world today in the year 2021, but sadly, it happens all the time. It's not publicized much in in the mainstream media, but Christian martyrdom is at its highest level in the past 2,000 years. Last year, over 5,000 Christians were killed for their faith just in the country of Nigeria. This summer, Taliban soldiers in Afghanistan went door to door hunting down Christian single women, kidnapping them, forcing them to convert to Islam, and forcing them to marry devout Muslim men. Over the past year or so, the Chinese government has ramped up their persecution of Christians. They've been burning down a number of church buildings that weren't authorized by the state. And just this past weekend, Chinese officials rushed into an Episcopal church that wasn't state-sanctioned, and they apprehended and arrested several of those Christian leaders in that church, and they accosted and harassed others. And this is really just the tip of the iceberg. There are no less than 50 countries in our nation today where Christians are being severely persecuted. And there are dozens of other nations where persecution against Christians and discrimination against Christians is ramping up to one extent 
or another, including right here in the United States, where Christianity is, to some extent, suffering more persecution and abuse than ever before. Now, this isn't something we like to think about. It's not like something we like to talk about, but it's true. Christians are being persecuted around the world, and that persecution is getting closer to home. And I have one key question I want to ask you today. When persecution comes your way, can you handle it? Can you handle it? Can you handle being insulted for your faith in Christ? Can you handle losing your job for your faith in Christ? Can you handle being slandered for your faith in Christ? Can you handle being physically assaulted or arrested or tortured or or even killed for your faith in Christ? Can you handle it? And honestly, I think some of you can't. Some of you can't handle it. I'm not convinced that I could handle it at this point in time. Unless you and I make some radical, radical changes. This fall here at Impact Christian Church, we've been studying Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches of Revelation in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. It's been a really enriching study looking at these seven churches that John, and specifically even Jesus Christ through John, these letters he wrote some 2,000 years ago in the year 95 A.D. And I, something that, that Jesus said to the church in Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2 really stood out to me. If you have your Bibles open to Revelation chapter 2, I want you to notice these three ways that Jesus praises those Christians in Smyrna. In Revelation 2.9, Jesus praises them, number one, for enduring crushing attacks from people in their city, people who hate them because they're Christians. Secondly, he praises them for enduring poverty after they'd been unjustly fired from their jobs. These Christians weren't just poor, they were dirt poor in the city of Smyrna. And thirdly, Jesus praises them for enduring slander. People in town had been falsely accusing the Christians of holding orgies and participating in in some sort of cannibalism. Just outlandish, crazy slander being leveled against these Christians. And they endured it. And after learning what the Smyrna Christians had to endure for Christ on a daily basis, any logical person would come to the conclusion that it was really hard to be a Christian in the city of Smyrna in 95 A.D. And it's a lot harder, wouldn't you say, than living in Victorville or Apple Valley or Hesperia today. But the Smyrna Christians even though they were unjustly persecuted and suffered a lot more for their faith than you and I do, Jesus says something remarkable to them in the next verse. I want you to see what Jesus says to them in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. After mentioning how they've been persecuted in so many different ways, He says this, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, And you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. So what is Jesus saying to his followers in Smyrna? He's saying this. My sons and daughters, I am so proud of you. 
You have already endured so much for my name. You have persevered in your faith at times when lukewarm Christians would have caved under the pressure. But I need to be honest with you. As far as persecution goes, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to get worse. Much, much worse before it gets better. And I want you to be ready. I want you to be faithful to me and overcome whatever trials come your way. If you do, I will give you the crown of life. You, Your reward in eternity will be far greater than any persecution you have to endure here on earth. Your reward will always outweigh your suffering. So the truth is, God allows trials to come our way. Think about it. Jesus knew every detail of the persecution that was going to be ramped up against those Christians in Smyrna. He knew that in just 60 years, the pastor of their church, a man by the name of Polycarp, would be tortured, nailed to a stake, and lit on fire for his faith in Christ. Jesus knew that ahead of time, and he warns them about it ahead of time. And we ask the question, if he knows about it ahead of time, if he's all-knowing, Why didn't our loving Savior stop it from happening? Why would he allow that? It doesn't sound very nice, does it? It doesn't sound very loving. It doesn't sound very compassionate. Why would our loving God allow any of his sons or daughters to suffer? I'm so glad you asked. Why does he allow it? Well, in a nutshell, God allows Christians to suffer because God is up to something much bigger and more important than your bottle of Advil is up to. God is up to something much bigger and more important than your primary care physician is up to. And God is up to something much bigger and more important than St. Mary's Hospital is up to. Why does God allow suffering and pain and trials to come our way? I want to share with you three reasons. There are actually more than three, but I want to share three with you quickly this morning. Reason number one, God is teaching us to lean on His strength and He knows that hardships are the best way to teach us to do that. Amen? You may not like what's on this screen, but it's true. God wants you to lean on His strength and He knows hardships are the best way to get you and me to do that. One of the very first passages I ever preached on was 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-10, through 10, where the Apostle Paul writes these words, There was given me a, a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen? When I am weak, then I am strong. I'll never forget coming to this church as a brand new whippersnapper preacher at the age of 25. That was 22 years ago when I first became the pastor at Impact Christian Church. It was called First Christian Church at the time. And I had been here just a few months when I remember asking myself, Dane, what were you thinking? 
<laughs> what were you thinking when you took this job? Each week you're supposed to get up and preach God's word to Christians, many of whom have been Christians twice as long as you've been alive. The audacity to think you could ever teach them something. And so I turned to God and I leaned on him and said, God, what do I do? I, I can't presume to be able to teach these folks anything. They have so much more life experience than I have. They have so much more wisdom than I have. A lot of them are a lot smarter than I am. How can I do it? And God so lovingly taught me 22 years ago, Dane, your age is irrelevant. You just simply teach them my word faithfully every week. Lean on me. Lean on my wisdom in my word. Lean on my truth. And you know what? I'm a lot older than anyone in your congregation, and my wisdom is a lot greater than any of their wisdom. You just lean on me, and you'll be okay. And that's what I've done for the past 22 years. In my weakness, I lean on God's strength. You see, his power is made perfect in my weakness. His encouragement is made perfect in others' insults. His strength is made perfect in my hardships. His blessings are made perfect in my persecutions. And his wisdom is made perfect in my difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong by the grace of God. So, why would our loving God allow us to suffer? What is He up to? Well, for starters, He's teaching us to lean on His strength. And He knows that hardships are the best way to teach us to do that. Well, there's a second reason that He allows persecution and suffering and pain to come our way. Reason number two, He also allows His sons and daughters to suffer because God is building our character. And nothing builds our character like suffering. It's often been said, God is more concerned with our character than with our comfort. And that's so true. God's more concerned with our character than our comfort. Comfort is temporary, but character is eternal. So God is in the business of building your character. Many of you remember what James writes to us in the first chapter of James, starting in verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That word mature is the theme word of the entire letter that James writes. The entire book of James is summarized in that one word, mature. Jesus Christ has called us to be mature in Christ. And nothing helps us mature better than trials and difficulties and suffering. God wants us to grow up in our faith, to mature in our faith, because immature Christians get very little done in Christ's kingdom. This world needs Jesus Christ a whole lot more than it needs you or me. And so Jesus Christ must become greater in me. Jesus Christ must become greater in you. Even John the Baptist himself, when Jesus was coming into his ministry and all of John the Baptist's followers started flocking to Jesus, what did John the Baptist say? He said, he must become greater, I must become less. That's a beautiful summary of the Christian walk, the Christian life. He must become greater, I must become less. Immature Christians are very little use in Christ's kingdom. 
Trials are a great tool in God's hand to root out our crummy, immature character and replace it with Jesus' perfectly mature character so that you and I can more effectively bring Jesus to our little corner of the world. So why does Jesus allow suffering to come our way? Because He wants you to lean on Him. That's the first reason. He wants you to lean on His strength. And secondly, He wants you to develop perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you can become mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, God wants you to persevere so that you can mature. He sends trials that teach you perseverance, and that perseverance helps you mature. There's a third reason God allows trials and suffering to come our way. God allows His sons and daughters to suffer because He loves us. Whoa, what do you mean He loves us? He brings suffering because He loves us? Yeah, it's true. He brings you suffering because He loves you. Let's carry on here. It says, He wants to reward us, and pain and suffering might be a curse for non-Christians, but they are a blessing for Christians because they lead to great reward. Never forget that. Pain and suffering could be a curse for non-Christians, but look at them as a blessing for you if you follow Christ. Because they will, if you use those pain and those, those pains and sufferings and those trials and tribulations and those difficulties and those challenges, if you'll use them for the good of God and the advancement of His kingdom, it will lead to great reward. It's true. It's true. Notice what we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. It says, The Lord disciplines those He loves. He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. Look what it says over in James 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. How about Romans 8, verse 16? I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, the bigger your trials for Christ, the greater your heavenly rewards will be. The more you overcome for Christ here on earth, the more you'll be rewarded in heaven. So why does God allow us to experience trials and suffering? Three reasons. Number one, He's teaching us to lean on His strength because His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Amen? Number two, He's building our eternal character and nothing builds our character like suffering. And number three, He loves us and He wants to reward us. So hear me out on this. I believe God brought brought some of you here today because of the trials and the suffering that you're dealing with today. Some of you here today are in physical pain Some of you listening to this message have been given a diagnosis from your doctor that's pretty grim. Some of you have finances that are in shambles and you're living paycheck to paycheck just barely. Some of you don't know if you're going to be evicted from your house or your apartment. Some of you are having relationship issues, maybe with your marriage or with your kids or with your parents. Some of us come today and God has us here because of what we're currently suffering. But I want to say to the rest of you, I believe God has brought you here today because of what you are about to suffer for the trials that have not yet come your way. God wants to prepare you for what's ahead. Just like the Christians in Smyrna, you've persevered through some stuff, but you ain't seen nothing yet. 
Up to this point in time, following Christ has been pretty easy for many of us. It's been pretty cushy. Your faith hasn't been fiercely challenged, but it's about to get challenged. You haven't had to sacrifice much of value to follow Christ, but following Christ is about to cost you a whole lot more. And I feel compelled to ask you today, can you handle it? Can you handle being insulted for your faith for Christ? Can you handle losing your job for your faith in Christ? Can you handle being slandered for your faith in Christ? Can you handle being physically assaulted or arrested or even killed for your faith in Christ? Up to this point in time, many of us have only known a cushy Christianity. Up to this point in time, many of us have only known a low-sacrifice Christianity. But in the months and years ahead, the heat will be turned up in the kitchen, and I want to make sure that every one of you can handle it. Because honestly... I don't think that many of us can. In the summer of 1950, a 22-year-old Bible college student named Jim Elliott felt a burden on his heart to go share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the Alca Indians, the Alca people in the jungles of Ecuador. They were known for being violent toward outsiders. They were known for being murderous, but... He knew they needed Jesus Christ. He didn't want any of them to go to hell. In fact, the word Alka that he was going to reach, that word Alka means savage in the Quechua language. And so Jim Elliott prepared to go to the Ecuadorian jungles and share the good news with those Alka Indians. After several years of ministering to the nearby Quechua Indians, the five missionaries that included Jim Elliott, they began flying over the Alka village in their PA-14 little little airplane, and they began dropping gifts for those Alka people. They were dropping gifts. They landed their airplane. They built an airstrip not too far up the river, and they began to interact with those Alka natives, and they had some really good experiences with them. In fact, on one occasion, one of these Alka natives got into their plane, and they took him for a ride over the river, and he loved it. But they landed their plane a few days later, and a larger group of Alka natives came out, And they murdered Jim Elliott and his four missionary companions and threw their bodies in the river. Well, just a short while before Jim Elliott had left and gone to Ecuador, he had written these words in his journal. He wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Amen. Over the last 70 years, Jim Elliott's martyrdom has fanned the flames of the modern missionary movement. And thousands upon thousands of young men and women have decided to go to the uttermost parts of the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people who desperately needed to hear the good news. Counting the cost, sacrificing everything, and doing whatever it took to serve Jesus Christ and to make sacrifices for Him so people could be saved. You see, Jim Elliott and Asiya Bibi both understood the importance of leaning on God's strength. No matter how hard things got, they allowed God to build their character. And they rejoiced at the reward that God was preparing for them in heaven. So when the day came for them to make the greatest sacrifice of their lives for the name of Christ, by God's grace, they were ready. 
And if you lean on God's strength and you allow God to build your character and you look ahead to your heavenly reward that only gets greater as your sacrifices and suffering for Christ increase, if you will do that by God's grace, when the day of testing comes, you'll be ready too. Lord Jesus, help me to be ready. Help us to be ready. Lord, here in America, compared to what Christians deal with in other parts of the world, our Christianity has been so easy. It's been so low risk. It's been so low sacrifice. It's been cushy. And Lord, some of us, You've placed here today to hear that message to wake us up. It might be kind of cushy now, but it's not going to stay that way. The suffering for many of us will be ramped up. The pain and the difficulties and the trials will increase for many of us. And Lord Jesus, I know you want us to be ready. So help us to prepare ourselves by every day leaning on your strength, by allowing you to build our character and by counting the cost and picking up our cross and follow you, whatever the cost, whatever it takes, knowing that our reward in heaven will far outweigh anything we deal with here on earth for you. Lord Jesus, may we say with confidence like the Apostle Paul, I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in me. In Jesus' name, amen.